And Father, that's our desire, that you would be our vision. Please don't let us turn our eyes to worthless things, to lesser things, to the things of this world that only give pleasure for a moment and then soon fade away and disappoint. Fill our vision with yourself, the wonder and the glory of who you are. And now as we open your word, we ask that you would open our hearts, our minds, and then our lives to live in obedience to what your spirit has given to us. We pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. So good to see all of you. Thank you for coming through the rain, the little bit of rain, a little bit of snow, a little bit of ice, everything. Thank you. I've been praying for you as you come this morning. For those of you who are online, we're glad that you can join us online. And we want to grow together as a family. We've been looking this January at our mission statement, Worship, Grow, Go as a House of Prayer. And this morning we look at that focus of being a house of prayer. But I want to start with, with this question. Have you ever lost something that's right in front of you in plain sight? You know, maybe your keys, maybe <laughs> the worst time I lost something right in front of me in plain sight. We were just heading back to Africa after the birth of our first son. He was only six weeks old. We were traveling back to Africa. We stopped to change planes in Amsterdam and we got off of our plane, made our way from one part of the terminal to the other part of the terminal, making sure we carry our handbags with us, rushing to make sure we don't miss our next flight. We got to the next gate, and all of a sudden I turned to Inel and I said, where's Luke, our baby? And she looked at me sort of quizzical and said, what do you mean? I said, where's Luke? She says, you're holding him. <laughs> he was in my arms. <laughs> It was the first time I had had a baby. I was nervous. We do that with the Word of God sometimes. What's right in front of us we don't see. One of the questions we ask often of ourselves, I've asked it often, how do I know the will of God for my life? We can wonder, how do I know the will of God for what occupation to have? How do I know the will of God for what school to go to? How do I know the will of God for what person to marry? Sometimes those big questions, sometimes littler questions, how do I know the will of God, when to say something to someone? And yet, what if God in the Bible told us, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus? He actually does. It's right there. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think the uh, page numbers will probably be on the screen. There you go, depending on which, uh, if it's a large print or not large print and the seat in front of you if you're using one of those bi Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Three little verses that are so important, beginning with verse 6. Ver 16, sorry, not 6. Verse 16. Rejoice always. That's a whole verse. That's one you can memorize, right? Rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There it is. This is God's will for us. Three constant commands. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. 
That's God's will for us. And, you know, sometimes we say, Lord, I want to know where I should live. I want to know what college I should go to. I want to know what job I should take. I want to, well, if, we, if we're not doing what he's already clearly told us to do, how do we expect him to give us some more details? He has already clearly laid out in, in one of the simplest sentences in all of Scripture what his will for us is. Three constant commands. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. So this morning we want to unpack these. And our focus is going to be on the prayer, but it, it comes together with these other two. So we've got to look at them all. None of these... Just a couple lessons about all of them. None of these are based on circumstances. Instead, they're all grounded in the character of God. They're not, we don't determine whether or not we're thankful because of what we're experiencing at the moment. We don't decide, well, I can't be joyful now because I'm in a really bad situation. These are not based on circumstances. That also means that our prayer life isn't determined by if we really need something badly, so that's when we pray. They're based and grounded in the character of God. How do we know that? Well, look at, look at how these three end. Rejoice, always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And look at the next verse, verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. You've got the triune God there. God the Father, it's the will of God the Father in Christ Jesus and don't quench his spirit. The triune God, this is the will of God for us. It's grounded in his character. If you go down just a little bit into verse 24, the thought continues, God sanctifying us and giving us peace, but the thought continues, verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. We serve a faithful God. So these these three commands are not determined by the circumstances of our lives. They're determined by the character of our God. He's a faithful God. He's a triune God, and our God wants us to be rejoicing. Now, why should we rejoice in God? Because he has saved us. He sent his son to die for us on the cross. He's, Jesus has taken our sins away. The Holy Spirit lives within us, protects us, guards us, guides us, counsels us. We have so many reasons to rejoice. Why should we give thanks? Because every good gift we have comes from him, right? Every good thing that we receive comes from him. We have so many reasons to be thankful. And why should we pray? Because what an amazing gift it is that this all-powerful, eternal, perfect God invites, welcomes, wants us to spend time in his presence talking with him and listening to him. None of these are based on circumstances. They're based instead in the character of God. Secondly, all of them are continuous. All of these commands, if you look at the grammar, are in the present tense. A present tense command in the Greek means it's a, it's a command for every moment of your life. It's not just at the time it was written, but right now and right now and right now, every second of your life, you are to be rejoicing, you are to be praying, you are to be giving thanks. And as if that wasn't enough, that it's a present tense command, a present continuous tense command, he, he adds another word to each one of these. So he says, rejoice Always pray without ceasing. That's like non-stop prayer. And give thanks 
in all circumstances. He adds that extra phrase to make sure we understand this is to be continuous. These are to characterize our lives. You know, like Jesus said to his disciples, eating food, eating bread is not enough. You need to eat the Word of God. The Word of God is our food. Prayer is like the air we breathe. It's consistent. It's constant. It's, it's not that we're walking around always mumbling and our lips are moving because we're talking to God and, and we can't talk to anyone else. We can't think about anything else. It's just that we, our hearts, our spirits are in constant communication with Him because it's the greatest privilege we have. Sometimes prayer is, in our society is a special event instead of a continuous event. A few weeks ago, I don't know if you were watching the Buffalo Bills versus the Bengals, but that whole football game stopped for a time of prayer, right? I mean, you remember? Even the football teams knelt down on the field and prayed as one of the players had a heart attack and, and collapsed there on the field. And we've seen DeMar Hamlin gain his strength again. We are thankful for that. It was a rare event, even an ESPN a broadcaster stopped and prayed on live television. And nobody said anything bad about it. It was stunning. But so that was a good thing. But so often we pray in a time of crisis. We pray in an emergency. But prayer is supposed to be constant. It's supposed to be something like the, the air that we breathe. It's nonstop communication with our Father. How do we do that? How do we pray all the time? There are loads of illustrations in Scripture of people who prayed constantly. Let me just give one, the best one possible, Jesus. Jesus, the very Son of God, as he was incarnate here on earth, prayed with his Father all the time. And I love the way Luke, in his gospel, portrays the prayer life of Jesus. I think of it as blanket prayers and bullet prayers. We talked about this in cover to cover in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has blanket prayers that last for a long time and then bullet prayers that are, Lord, help me. But the bullet prayers work because he's always got these blanket prayers wrapped around him. Jesus, look at Jesus' example. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 says this. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And as you keep reading, he spends time there in prayer in a place all alone during the daytime. You come to the next chapter, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But he would withdraw, and it actually means often withdraw, to desolate places and pray. It was Jesus' practice in life. It was just the way he loved to get away alone from the rush and bustle of life and spend time with his father in prayer, in communication, two-way, talking to his father and listening to his father. That's what prayer is. Luke chapter 6, the very next chapter, in those days he went out to a mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So sometimes it was during the day, sometimes it was all night. He just had these blanket prayers. He wrapped himself in prayer. He was just caught up in talking with his father. Brothers and, Jesus, brother and, brothers and sisters, if Jesus needed that, how much more do we? But then there were bullet prayers of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is feeding the 5,000, and he, he asks his disciples, what do you have to feed them with? And they say, five loaves and two fishes. And we're told that Jesus lifted them up and gave thanks and distributed them to the people, and he fed everybody. Do you think Jesus prayed for an hour while everyone's sitting there looking at that food? No. 
I mean, we have a hard time when somebody at the mail table talks, you know, prays for two or three minutes, right? Come on, we're ready to eat. That was a bullet prayer. Jesus has been blanketing his life in prayer. At this moment, he just says, thank you, Father, and he starts feeding everybody. Our lives are sometimes blanketed in prayer, sometimes just bullet prayers, but it's supposed to characterize our life all the time. Prayers are not determined by circumstances, but by the character of God. These, these prayer life of ours and our joy and our giving thanks are continuous. They are to be all the time. And then thirdly, they are corporate. This is community. Now, we naturally think of this, well, I need to spend more time with the Lord in prayer. I need to be able to send a bullet prayer to the Lord. That is true. It's true. But Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to the Thessalonians. And this letter is going to be read to the church when they are assembled together. And the, the personal pronouns here are plural personal pronouns. So he's saying, you all, when you all gather together, I want you to be joyful, I want you to be praying, and I want you to be thankful all the time. So it's a corporate community thing. We see that in the church from the very beginning. Right after Pentecost, 3,000 people are added to the church, and in Acts chapter 2, we're told this, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's eating together and sharing communion together, and to prayer. Prayer was a core part of every time they gathered together as a church. We see it in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are taken before the Sanhedrin. They are told, never, ever again speak in the name of Jesus. We're going to let you go, but don't let us catch you talking in Jesus' name. They go back to the Christians, and they say, we've been told never to talk in the name of Jesus again. And what are we told in Acts chapter 4? They prayed together asking the Lord for boldness to speak in the name of Jesus. And they went out and did it. You see, the Christians, when they gathered together in the early church, the, a core part of their gathering together was prayer. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, we must devote ourselves to teaching of the word, study of the word, and prayer. The two highest priorities. Something has happened in the church over history so that prayer is no longer as central as it used to be. I mean, you can go to almost any church in America or in many parts of the world, prayer is no longer a central aspect of worship. What has happened? Well, let me just, uh, you, you guys know, I'm a history buff. So let me just go back through history a little bit. I have not read this in any history book. This is what I see in history. The church started being a place of prayer. It had started even before the church. When Solomon dedicates the temple and Solomon prays for this new temple that he's built for the people to worship God in, what does Solomon say in his prayer, in his dedication prayer? Listen to it. And listen to the, the pleas of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Listen in heaven and forgive. You see, Solomon saw the temple as a house of prayer. What did Jesus say? This house you have turned into a house of thieves, but it should be a house of prayer for all the nations, all the peoples. The synagogues of the Jews were houses of prayer. Synagogues began during the Babylonian captivity 
when they were exiles in Babylon, the Jews were spread out throughout Babylon, but they wanted to keep meeting together, and so they didn't have a temple. They just had meeting houses where they would gather together. Those were called synagogues. We still have synagogues today. So synagogues are not a temple. They're just a place where the Jewish people would meet, but prayer was an essential part of their worship time. You look at the study, you study historically synagogues, and the core value was prayer. In fact, so much so that Josephus, one of the earliest church historians, said that in the synagogues, the word for prayer became an idiom for the place of prayer. In other words, they would say, where do you pray from? You know, in Uganda, where I lived for years, they still, they don't ask you, where do you go to church? What church do you attend? They say, where do you pray? Because the Christians come together for a core value, praying. Where did it seem to get lost? Well, during the Middle Ages and in church history, the monasteries emphasized prayer, but they emphasized solitude prayer. They even had seven hours of prayer where they'd say, you're supposed to pray at this hour and this hour and this hour, and they had prayer books for it. But prayer moved more and more towards priests praying for people and priests reading the Bible for people. You didn't need to read the Bible if you were just a common Christian. It was only the priests. And so the priests read the Bible. The priests told you about the Bible. If you had a prayer request, you brought it to the priests. The priests could pray. They would have more access to God than everybody else would. Prayer began to diminish. Also, the truth of Scripture began to diminish. And people would go to a priest and say, well, I've sinned. And the priest would say, well, you need to do penance. You need to do good works to make up for your sin. And I'll pray for you. So they wouldn't ask for forgiveness for their sins themselves. The priest would ask for forgiveness. And then they would go do good works. And so the church began to say, you earn your way to heaven by doing good works. During the Reformation, a radical change happened. Around 1500, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Zwingli, others, they began to study the Word of God and they realized, no, it, you don't do good works to get to heaven. It's Jesus' good work on the cross that gets us to heaven. We don't, it's, it's not that we listen to what the Pope says or what the bishops say or what the, in our current day, what the pastors say, it's what the Bible says. And so that during the, the Reformation, they came up with five solas. They call them onlys in, in Latin, sola. Sola scriptura, only scripture matters. That's what is our authority. Sola fide, only faith matters. Sola gratia, only grace matters. Sola Cristo, only Jesus is our way of salvation. And then soli deo gloria, only God receives the glory, nobody else, no popes, no bishops, no church, only God. Five solas. In the emphasis on getting back to the truth in the Word of God, which was hugely important in the Reformation, the truth of the Word of God. They began to elevate the preaching of the Word, but at the same time, prayer began to diminish. You can even see it in the way churches were constructed. In Europe today, if you go to some of the churches built around the Reformation time, pulpits are elevated. They even got stairwells to go to the pulpit. Why? It was not to lift up the person preaching. They were saying the centrality of the Word of God as our authority. When you are reading the Word of God, preaching from the Word of God, you need to be at an elevated place above everything else because the Word of God is, is the foundation for it. That is true. That is important. But at the same time, prayer began to diminish. 
So as a result of the Reformation, one of the great things is we now base our faith on the Word of God. Amen. But we began to pray less. And you look at the context, the history of churches after the Reformation, prayer diminished, diminished, diminished. There were exceptions. The Mennonites, they prayed a lot. But on the whole, prayer began to diminish. We are a house of prayer. Not because the elders have said so, not because the pastor has said so, but because Jesus has said, that's what I want. I want a house of prayer. So we're going to practice it for a moment. I would like us to gather. If you're with your family, you can pray with your family. If you're with some friends or if you're alone, just slide over next to two, three, five people. We're going to spend the next two or three minutes just praying in really small groups all over this worship center. And I want you to pray for this. Just give thanks you can pray with joy, but I want you to pray that we will be a house of prayer. Now, maybe you're saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. I am not, I don't feel comfortable praying with people. That's okay. Slide over with somebody. You don't have to pray. It's okay. You can be silent. Pray in your spirit. Pray in your heart. You pray quietly. Somebody else in your group, I'm sure, will manage to pray, okay? But let's spend a couple minutes. Stand up if you need to. Let's move, move together. We're going to spend, a, and then I will close in prayer. But get together with some other people. Let's spend a few minutes asking the Lord, Lord, help us to regain a passion for prayer. Our Father in heaven, you hear our prayers as we pray to you. We so desperately want to learn once again to be a house of prayer. We want to honor you. And Jesus' own words said this should be a house of prayer. So Father, help us to regain that passion, that love, not an obligation, not just because you have commanded us to do it, but because we love to be in your presence. We love to speak to you. We love to hear from you. So please help us increasingly to be a house of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. So Prayer is not based on circumstances, but on the character of God. And when, when he says be thankful in all circumstances, that it's in all circumstances. We don't thank God for the circumstance, right? We don't have to thank God that I just found out I've got cancer or thank God that I just had a car accident. But we can thank God in the cancer, in the car accident. We, we are always thankful, always rejoicing, always praying, always talking to God. Two-way conversation talking with him and listening to him as he speaks back to us. Prayer is consistent, it's constant, it's continuous. It's just like the air that we breathe. It needs to be perpetual in our lives. And then prayer is corporate. It's supposed to happen together. It, this is written to a community that's listening to these words being read to them together. You all, when you gather together, pray if we're not doing these things, we are not living in the will of God. That means if we are not praying privately and corporately, we are not living in the will of God. We need desperately to be a house of prayer. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So do, so do not quench the Spirit. That's what he says. And then the fourth, the fourth thing that I see in these three little verses is that prayer is central. 
Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Prayer is in the middle. Why is it in the middle? Because when we are constantly praying, constantly in communication with our Father in heaven, our lives are filled with joy. We're not focused on all the junk around us. We're in relationship with Him. When we are constantly praying, we are thinking of how He has blessed us, and we are giving Him thanks, and we become a thankful people. But we cannot be a thankful people consistently unless we are consistent in prayer. We cannot be a joyful people consistently unless we are consistent in prayer. Prayer is in the middle. The Holy Spirit never makes a mistake, even in the way he organizes a sentence. I learned this lesson for the first time, and I've shared this with some of you who've been here, around here for a while, the first time from two different men in my life. Dr. Neinheis was a professor at uh, Hope College, where I went to college. He was dean of arts and humanity. We were starting a Christian group on the campus. And I, was, I had asked to lead that Christian group, and Dr. Neinheis was going to be our faculty advisor. So at the beginning of that year, we had gotten permission to start meeting as a Christian group, and at the beginning of that year, Dr. Neinheis said to me, I'd like us to, you and me, to meet every single week because I'm going to, the advisor, I want to know what's going on in the group, and I, I want to be able to, to walk with you through it. I went into his office the first time. I was amazed. He had this huge office. He had bookshelves everywhere. He had books in Latin and books in Greek, and I just was so, I was overawed by this guy, you know, and leather chairs, and he pulls up two chairs facing each other, and we sat down. He said, Brent, in just a few sentences... I don't want it to go more than just maximum five minutes. Tell me what your goals for this new Christian group is going to, are going to be on the campus this year. So I shared with him the goals that I, I had set together with the other students who were leading along with me. And he said, okay, let's pray. And he turned around, got down on his knees. And I thought, well, I guess I've got to get on my knees. And we prayed for the next 55 minutes. Every week, all year long, when I met with Dr. Neinheis, that was the pattern. No more than five minutes of talking, we get down on our knees and we pray. And I learned from Dr. Neinheis, if God is going to move on this campus, it's going to be through prayer. I went to Uganda about 12 years after that, end up in this little tiny village in western Uganda. No missionaries had served in that part of the country before. I was excited to be there in this new place. There was an elderly man named Mona Mze, Amona Basika, and he, he had started five little groups of Christians, about 15 to 20 people. I was coming to help him. We were going to plant churches, and I had just started to learn the language in Kenya before I went into Uganda, so I'm barely able to communicate very well. And one day, uh, my, my mud home was across the path from his mud home, and he comes over to me. He says, Brent, I want us to go up to the church together. I want us to spend some time in planning. So uh, we walk up to the church. The church has a, it's just a small little thing. The floor is extremely dirty. It's just a dirty place. He gives us two little wooden chairs. We sit down. He, and he talked to me for a little bit about how God had worked in that area, how these little tiny groups of Christians had, had grown, the persecution they had been through, and he said, now we need to get to work. He handed me a piece of cardboard. And I thought, what's a cardboard for? 
And then he reached over and he found another piece of cardboard for himself. He put the cardboard on the floor and he knelt down on it in order to keep his pants from getting totally dirty from the dirt. And he began to pray. And I knelt down on my piece of cardboard and I began to pray. And that became the pattern of our lives for the next 20 years as Mzea Mona mentored me. He taught me the centrality of prayer. Brothers and sisters, if we are not a praying people and if we are not a praying church, God will not choose to work in us and through us. Prayer is central. Joy and prayer are often coupled in Scripture. We see it many times. For instance, John 16, until now you've asked nothing in my name. That's prayer, asking in my name. Ask and you'll receive. Why? That your joy may be full. You see, joy comes when we're praying people. Or Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, that's the joy, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. It's the prayer that undergirds that joy. Thanksgiving and prayer are coupled together over and over in Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. In fact, in gratitude to God is a sign of pagan depravity. Did you know that? When Paul describes how people have turned away from God, listen to what he says, Romans 1.21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Thanklessness is a sign of depravity because everything good that we have comes from God. Prayer is central. So what is prayer? It's simply communication with God two-way, but it's coming to him in a worshipful manner. That word for prayer is approaching God in a worshipful, in a respectful manner. So we rejoice when we come to him. We give thanks when we come to him. That's worshipful. A pastor who used to pastor here years ago, back in the 70s, impacted my life greatly when I came back from Africa and college and stuff. He said this, Dr. Slavin, George Slavin, not to pray robs God of his glory. Wow. And it robs those for whom we should pray. Not to pray robs God of his glory, and it robs those for whom we should be praying. If we're not praying, we are not in God's will. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, so do not quench the spirit, God says. Prayer is a privileged, essential part of worship because it's theocentric. Prayer is all about God. It's not about me. It's not about, I may bring my needs to him, but why? Because he is capable. He is able. I'm not. Prayer is theocentric. It's all about God, and that's why prayer has to be an essential part of worship. And we're going to try to keep growing as a house of prayer, even in our worship times, because we want to be who Jesus wants us to be, and that is a house of prayer. Why is it so hard for us to pray then? Well, the enemy doesn't want us to walk in the will of God, right? And the enemy knows that when we are on our knees, he is defeated. So the enemy will do everything he can to keep us from being a praying people. Sometimes we feel like, well, we just don't know how to pray. 
Can I give you two suggestions? Prayer is like talking to anyone. We can all talk, right? We all manage to. We all talk to somebody. The only unique thing with prayer is when we talk to God, we do it with respect and we do it through Jesus because you and I have no right to come to the Father God on our own, but Jesus died for our sins. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins, then that's where it begins. You ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins, then Jesus takes those sins away. You he gives you access now to the Father. So we pray. I always try to pray in Jesus' name because I don't have the right to come to God alone, but in Jesus, we absolutely do. We're just talking to God. I can talk to my wife. I, can, I talk to my dad all the time. We, we can talk to God. It's not hard to talk to God. But can I give you a, another suggestion? If you don't know how to do something, what's the best way to learn? Do it with people who know how to do it. If you don't know how to play a card game, not too many of us are going to go get a book and read the instructions of how to play that game. We play with somebody who plays the game, right? You don't know how to play football or basketball or you don't go read some magazine about it. You go play with people who know how to play. If you don't know how to pray, pray with people who know how to pray. That's how we learn. We just do it with people who know how to do it. Prayer is simply communicating with God. He's our Father. If I don't talk to my Father, that means there's a big rupture in that relationship, right? If I don't speak to my wife, there's a problem in our relationship. If I'm not talking to my Father in heaven, there's a problem in our relationship. God is our counselor, the perfect counselor. But if I go to a counselor, a, pay, a licensed counselor here in the state of Michigan, once a week I have a counseling appointment and I sit down with a counselor and I never talk to him, what's the value of being there? Well, maybe they wrote a really good book about depression. So I just tell them, well, give me the book on the bush and I'll read it and I'll come and sit by you every week, but I'm not going to say anything. Make no progress. You know what? God wrote a really good book right here. And there are an awful lot of us that read it all the time. We never talk to him about it. It doesn't make any sense, brothers and sisters. Prayer is communication with our Father. So how can we pray? What are some practicals that we can do? I want to end by giving you some practicals. And my prayer is that we will all take at least one of these and move forward with it. On our website, I think you'll see a picture of it on the, on the screen here. On our website, there is a prayer drop-down menu right at the top right-hand corner, way up there on the right-hand corner. It's on the top because it's so important. You click on that menu and it will drop down a whole bunch of times and ways that you can pray with other brothers and sisters here at church. There's a prayer meeting every Wednesday night. We gather in the prayer room back here. The women have a prayer meeting every Wednesday morning. A group of women gather in that prayer room. The men gather at the last uh, Saturday of the month, and they pray in that prayer room for in the morning. Um, there's a Friday Zoom prayer time. Friday morning at 7 o'clock, there's a link on that drop-down menu. You hit that link, it'll take you right into this prayer room where on Zoom, a bunch of us meet at 7 o'clock Friday morning. We pray until 7.30, and then we go off and do the other responsibilities we have for the day. 
Every Sunday morning at quarter to nine, there's a group of us that meet in the prayer room and pray for our Sunday services. After every single service, there are people up here who will pray with you, and there are people in the prayer room who will pray with you if you want to. There are so many ways you can pray. Another one of my favorite ways to pray here in this congregation is our Exalt prayer app. Our Exalt Prayer app is something that we developed a couple years ago just for us. It's our church. Nobody else is in it. Nobody else does it. It's our own little thing. You can go onto the website on that prayer drop-down menu. It'll give you a, a link. It'll say Exalt Prayer. You click on that. It'll pull up this Exalt Prayer app. If you have our church app, it says Prayer at the bottom. You click it. This will pop up. When you have that Exalt Prayer app, either on your phone or on your computer, you can you register because we want to make sure it's just people in the church. So it, as you start the registration process, it's going to send you to our office to make sure that you're somebody who comes to church here because it's for us. Then it'll come back to you. You put in a password, etc. And it is the coolest way. Every single day almost, I get on that. I can hear brothers and sisters in this church praying. Some of them prayed early in the morning. Some of them prayed at night. Just little short snippets of prayer. I listen to them pray. I add my own prayer. They can hear my prayers later. The prayers only stay on there for 24 hours. They're not stuck in the, in the ethernet or in the inter internet forever. They aren't. They're 24 hours they're there, but we pray for each other. We have small groups on there that pray for each other. My small group has its own little private space where we pray for each other and we can share really private things and pray openly and we can hear each other praying. When some of the people went to Ukraine and Poland, they were praying on that prayer thing, and I was praying with them, even though we were in different continents. It is so cool. We've got a table out there in the foyer. There are people out there who can help you set that up, help you understand it. There's an instruction thing to help you get going if you'd like to do that. And then finally, as you walk out this morning, the, the men at the doors are going to give each one of us a book like this, a little tiny book called Prayer is the Answer. These are 30 meditations from some of our um, believers who are older than us. In fact, all of these believers are now in heaven, but they were tremendous men of prayer. It's some of their best meditations on prayer. 30 really short little meditations. This is my request. Please take one of these home with you. Every day, read one of those meditations. It'll take you two minutes. Read one of those meditations. Inside it, you're going to find some little cards like this stuck. It just says, um, what I learned this week. This is my ask. During the week, if God impresses something on you about prayer, just write it, one sentence on here. Bring it back every Sunday during February, and we're going to have tables right out there in the middle of the foyer. Set your card down so others can learn. Don't put your name on it. Just put your card down. You know, I learned prayer can be filled with joy. I learned prayer is about whatever it is. And then you can read what other people are learning. I want us during the month of February, every single day to be reading one of these and growing together. And then once, every single Sunday, bring one of these cards in and share with one another. Read what other people have written just to encourage each other. We're all going to keep learning to grow as a house of prayer, okay? So as you go out today, please remember to drop your prayer tags that you filled out earlier on the prayer wall. Hang them on the prayer wall. Grab one of these from, at, from the, the person at the door who's going to hand one to you. This is the will of God for your life and for mine and for our church. Pray nonstop. Let's, let's walk in the will of God, okay? Lord Jesus, 
bow before you, so wanting to honor you with our lives. We want to know your will. We want to walk in your will. And you have laid it out so clearly. And if we can start here, then you can show us other areas of your will. But Lord, help us to do what you've already told us is your will. To rejoice always, to pray without ever stopping, and to give you thanks in all circumstances. Help us to really grow as a house of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name.